0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you a part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at NorthridgeThomason.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody shout it, Amen. Come on now, shout Amen. Amen. God bless you. We have. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 we've been talking about legacy, leaving a legacy and what that looks like in our life and how we as unlikely candidates can do things in this life that don't just matter that don't just leave an impression but something that exists after we have left this earth and the hopes of that is that we along the way can tell people about Jesus, share our faith and in fact arguably i think a lot of the people in the church corporately today i hope that's not true at northridge church but people do not share their faith. They're they're nervous of that. They're afraid they don't know enough and And I just want to challenge you today to be bold in your faith and also want to kind of give you some things today that can help you to equip you that we not become ignorant, as the Bible says. And many, many times, let not your hearts be troubled and don't be a fear and don't be ignorant. All of these declaratives that the Bible tell us that we're not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. The enemy is at work. He's out there. He knows his days are few and they're numbered. But he's aggressively, amen, he's aggressively coming after us. But how many of you know that Jesus says, but be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. And if we're in him, we too are overcomers, amen. And that's something we need to grab on today. And and I want to help you today through this message of leaving a legacy because of his sufficiency, But in that, I want to help us to navigate through some problematic waters, things we, in my opinion, don't talk enough about in the church, and really been kind of struggling with this message as it got to this point. And last night, I was able to share some of it. Uh, Just thank you for you guys that prayed for last night. By the way, we had 42 uh, people give their life to Jesus last night down in Okmulgee State Park. And uh, so y'all pray for those folks that have made that decision. But how many of you know that being a child of God does not exempt you from life's ups and downs? How many of you know that? In fact, as I said a moment ago, I believe to be for it to be true now that in our life, uh, giving our life over to Jesus sometimes sets us up for even more hardships. Man, that don't preach well does it. But it's true because we now have a target on our back with other people. But also I believe it to be true today that you're not going to have restoration and experience the restoration hand of God if you don't go through what? Difficulty and brokenness. You're not going to know what healing is unless you have been sick you're not going to know what true hope is until you have first felt hopeless. And and in fact, let me say today, boldly and unashamedly, you're not going to know what true life in Jesus Christ is until you have experienced death and separation in this world. And so I think with that today, we can kind of navigate through through some things to help us to understand what this looks like in our life. Because here's what happened for me. I was brought up in church. I, I was raised in church and then went in the military and then gave my life to Jesus 1992, October 29th uh, at the end of the uh, desert storm conflict. And, and, and then from that point got involved in a church that was very, very direct, very aggressive at sharing the faith. It was expected for you to share your faith. But in that, a lot of times I kind of resorted to, you know, preaching about getting people out of hell and, and oftentimes neglected the grace, the marvelous grace of God. And you say, well, is there a, a part of that we need to talk about? There is. The Bible tells us, We need to be careful to speak to the whole counsel of God. There is a hell to shun. It is a literal place. It's a separation from God. But then there's this eternal hope, this place with Jesus called heaven that is prepared for you and I. Heaven, Hell was never prepared for you and I but for Satan and his demons and the enemies of God. But in fact, we choose and we have the right to choose whether or not we want to spend eternity separated from God or whether or not we want to choose to elect to accept the finished work of the cross that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. I want you to go ahead and look to your neighbor today and say, I think you look a little younger than you did last week. Go ahead and make them feel good. Just make it a little lighthearted because we're just to navigate some troubled waters. I believe with all of my heart, though, that the day that my life truly changed was when I walked face to face into the sufficiency of Jesus. Where I could say this with my mouth, Jesus is simply enough that Jesus is enough in this life, that his grace, as he told the apostle Paul, when he prayed that he would deliver him from this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was obviously something that was ailing his flesh. We know Satan was buffeting him and, and challenging him at every corner. And we know that also God allowed that to happen, that he not be exalted above, above measure to get into a prideful place in his life. But I love the fact that he called on Jesus and he said in Second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 9 and following, he said, I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to deliver you from this thing that you've cried out to me to take from you, but I would." do want you to know that it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. It's my grace that's sufficient for you. And I want to tell you that today before we even get into this text, text to understand that it's the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is for by grace that you're saved through what? Through faith. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses today. In the doxology of Paul's life, he's speaking to his young protege, Timothy. And I love this passage because we realize that in this writing historically the apostle paul is in prison as he's writing this letter to his young protege that that blows me away that he's experiencing difficulty at every end in fact if you go into acts chapter 9 you realize that when he was called on the road to damascus jesus told him then he says i have chosen you a vessel of honor but he goes on to say at the end of that he says but make no mistake about it you will suffer for my namesake And then watch what he says here as he's suffering, awaiting imminent beheading by the Roman government. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, Paul is telling Timothy. Watch what he goes on to say. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. Everybody say power. Love and self-discipline. Some translations say it this way. You and I have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The word power there is where the Greek word dudamas is where we get dynamite, explosive. God's not just handed us a little something to deal with their life. He's given us his power, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave lives in you and I. I submit to you that you and I, however, will never experience the power of that kind of power in our life until we choose to live a life that's uncomfortable and outside of the auspices of what we can do in and of ourselves. You will never experience, let me say it this way, the true supernatural power of of God until you step outside of what you can do naturally in your own life and I believe that to be true and he goes on to say so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me a prisoner but rather join with me Timothy how would you like to have this kind of a job description join with me Timothy get on board Timothy here's where we're going we're going to start churches but watch what he says join with me in the suffering for the gospel did you sign up for that I don't think I did in 1992. I didn't sign up for no suffering. I want, I want the grace. I want the mercy. I want the love. I want the hope. I want the blessed assurance that we sing about. I don't want the suffering. I can get that in the world. But he says, rather join with me in the suffering of the gospel. By the power of God. It's by the power of God, Steve, that he's going to suffer. Watch what, watch what he says. I love this. Underscore this. He has saved us. And he's called us to a holy life. Watch this. I love this. Not because of anything that we have done. But because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus from the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Who, by the way, has destroyed death. Everybody say amen. I got right there in my Bible. That's a good place to run and shout. Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle, a preacher and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Not because he was a bad guy, because he was. He was a murderer of Christians in Acts chapter 8 and then backward. The apostle, I mean Saul, the, uh, the man from Tarsus. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame. Because I know in whom I have believed. And I am confident, I am convinced, I am assured that he is able to guard what I have entrusted unto him until that Day. Let us pray. Father, help me today to rightly divide your word in power and in truth that lives would be changed. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Hallelujah. Amen. When you trust Jesus to Lord over your life, and notice I didn't say to be Lord in your life, but to Lord over your life. To literally take every account of every affection, of every hope, of every direction, of every finances, of every relationship, of every desire, of every will. When you allow him to Lord over your life, you simply are saying yes to Jesus. You're not saying, yes, but. You're not saying, okay, but I don't want to do that. And It is literally signing, watch this, a blank check and saying, God, I give you my life because you have given me life. I give you over. I'm merely a steward even of my body because the Bible says I'm not my own, but I've been bought with a price. So, God, I give you myself. So when you trust Jesus to Lord over your life, here's what you get. You get Jesus. You don't get wealth. There's no promise that you're going to be wealthy. In fact, my, the matter of fact of it is, is you might be poor. The Bible even talks about being a poor in spirit. Can I tell you this? You're not going to necessarily be popular. In fact, young people hear me. You may be disgraced and you may be hated for the glory of God. And can I tell you, that should bring you unspeakable joy that people are detesting you because you're a child of the Most High God. Can I tell you this? You won't be first. The Bible doesn't teach that when I become a child of God, and I'm never going to call out another pastor, whether in TV or anything else, because that is not my job. That is between God to judge. Every word that comes out of our mouth. But let me say this unashamedly. Anyone that will tell you, because you become a child of God, that people are going to just open and part ways like the Red Sea, and you're going to get the best parking place. You're going to get to the front of the line. You're going to get all these great treatments. Can I tell you something? The Bible says you want to be first to become last. There's no promise you're going to be first. There's no promise that you're not going to struggle in school and struggle in relationships. There's no promise that you're not going to become sick. There's no promise. Hear me. Don't mistake Isaiah where he says, by stripes we are healed. Don't mistake that and think for one minute that you're going to navigate life and not ever experience sickness because what? You and I are in a mortal body, and in order to put on immortality, we have to die. Part of the death process is things turning gray, things turning loose, things changing. Amen. Can I get a witness? You're going to go through that. But the reality is, is knowing that when I give my life to Jesus, I get Jesus. And Jesus is enough. If you can't say that today from the depths of your heart, then you're missing the greatest point of our salvation. I don't get Jesus plus. I don't really know why I jumped like that. That was a little weird. I don't get Jesus plus plus something oh but mark i get the church oh yeah you get the church but can i tell you something the church is flawed religion is flawed people i I love the old uh guy the old pastor that was part of my ordination service 17 years ago his name was jesse sims steve you'll get a kick out of this and i remember they stood up and they asked me questions i don't know if they do that anymore they asked me questions about the bible i didn't know the bible to be ordained and uh, he stood up, and he, they each of them had a chance to say something to challenge me. And this old gentleman, 92 years old, Jesse Simpson, sweet, sweet man. And he stood up and him, he said, he, he walked like this. He just kind of slid his feet. And he got up and he said, Pastor Mark, well, you're not a pastor yet, but Mark, here's the thing. Ministry is amazing. I'm thinking, okay, that's really powerful if it weren't for people. You know what he's telling me? Anytime we're dealing with people, life will be difficult. Because people are difficult. Don't look to your wife. I'm not talking about that. We'll get there next week. To believe contrary to this is literally closing your eyes to the biblical teachings and to historical evidence of what is going on. Can I tell you it this way? Every single apostle, with exception of the apostle John, died a martyr's death. These were the guys that could walk as Peter walked down the street past Solomon's porch. And the Bible says that his shadow cast upon the sick and the dying and they got up and were healed. Those guys, the apostles who penned the word of God, they were called, they they walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus. They saw him die. They saw him resurrected. They walked with him and they saw him ascend. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, they saw him, experienced him, embraced him, saw him dead and yet alive. And yet he said, every one of you will die for your faith. If anybody deserved to live a great life, It was these guys, yet they were tortured. They were skinned alive. They were tossed from buildings. They were stoned. They were beheaded. And according to Josephus, a historian in the first century, the apostle Peter actually went out to be crucified. And they said, we're going to do to you what we did to your master. And they said that he wept openly and said, I'm not worthy (laughs) to die the way my Jesus died. And they crucified him upside down. I love John 16:33 In me Jesus said you might have peace but watch this but in this life you will have trouble Job chapter 14 says a woman that is born a man that is born of woman his days are few and his life is full of trouble and I say this, there's a point of reference to this today because I'm, I'm afraid, if, if I say that loosely, I'm afraid that people go through life as a new believer thinking that when they get in, that everything is going to be deflected and the relationships are going to work, God's going to heal their marriage, their finances. And let me tell you something the lies that are being told across the airwaves that when you do this, you're going to get this. We don't, listen, I don't give them my tithe and offering to get something back. I bring it because it's His anyway. I don't pray because I'm I'm wanting God to open up the windows of heaven. I pray because I want to get in relationship with him. I don't preach because I want to hear myself talk. You have no clue. Honest to God, let me just be transparent. It is the most difficult thing in the world. My stomach is upside down every week before I come out here because I know that in and of myself, I have nothing to say. But as God speaks and I say, God, here I am, your servant, use me. Maybe, just maybe, through my mouth, through my human lips, my afraid, depraved person, something good might come out all because of him. Because I've realized... In whom I have placed my faith. The abounding, overwhelming, unequivocal, unashamed truth is that Jesus is enough. Real quickly. Freedom indeed. The Bible says, I love this. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free what? Indeed. I looked that word up. You know what it means? Entirely. You can be free in relationships. Well, Mark, what if they're broken? You can be free. You can be free in your finances. What if I don't have any money to pay my bills? You can be free. I'm going to tell you something, man. I have wrote. I've watched my wife. She does her bills. And, and I've watched her write tithe checks years and years ago. Write tithe checks to our church. And I sit there and I go, what are you doing? We don't have enough money to pay our bills. She said, because I'm just going to do what God told me to do. And she wrote that check. And I have seen God do mathematically what was impossible. Just because we were faithful. Amen. Can I get a witness? is that right, Doug? I'm going to tell you something, guys. It doesn't make sense. You can have freedom and loss. Uh, Last night I was talking about some of these same points. And this big dude, he was a huge guy. He came up to me. He said, man, I need to talk to you. I said, Lord God, please, God, let him have enjoyed that message. Please, Lord. This is a big old country boy. He looked at me. He said, I want you to know I was a little upset when you first started talking about this suffering. But Lord God, please change his heart right now. He looked at me and he said, but you broke me. I said, I said man, what do, you, what do you mean, brother? Sir? He said, I've been so mad at God. I said, why are you mad at God? He said, because my 19-month-old daughter drowned two years ago. Man, I just lost it. Like, what? what do you say to that? I mean, what do, you, what do you do then, Stan? Just bring out a, well, Romans eight twenty eight 28 says, all things, I think I would have crushed me. Well, God's a good God. You know what I did? I shut my mouth. And I listened to this guy, pour his heart out. He said, Pastor Mark, I was 10 feet away. She fell over into the water. When I turned around, she was gone. And he said, to Mark, I was mad at God and I was, I was hating for that. I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon, but I'm like going, dude, I get it, man. I get it. I would be too. He said, but what you showed me tonight is number one, I can have the peace in knowing I'm going to see my baby again. You know what I did with that? I said, God, he got that from what I said. Because I didn't say that. And God said, oh, yeah, yeah, you messed up every time, Mark. And I fixed it, and they heard from me. (laughs) He says that to me often. Check this out real quick. What I want to tell you today is that freedom indeed brings you to a whole new place of peace and praise. And I said praise. Because what I didn't realize is that was the big dude that was standing over on the side to my left and He just had his hands up, and he was just like this. This was during the, pray, the worship, after my message. And he's just going back and forth. He's a big old dude. He's just like this, and the ground's shaking, you know, and he's like. I'm thinking, man, that guy's got his praise on. He was praising God because God had lifted, not the burden, not the remembrance, but the opposite of peace, torment. Have you ever been in torment over something? And he lifted it. Say, Mark, is there any scriptural evidence? There there is in the book of Job. Man, one of the most powerful books, probably the oldest book in the Bible, first one ever written during the patriarchal period, before the law. A man named Job, here, check it out what the Bible says. In, in, In that land, he was a perfect and he was an upright man, and he was the greatest and most wealthy in all the land. Man, I'm thinking, I'm thinking behind that. We're fisting here. And, and, and so God blessed him. And God gave him this. And God did this. And God did that. And, God, and you know what it says? Right after that, it, it talks about Satan coming before the throne of God. And, and then G, God says this. Check it out. God says, have you considered my servant Job? It was God's idea. Why would a good God? I'll tell you why. Job lost all of his wealth taken in a moment he lost his homes his homes imploded his eight children dead he's lost everything that gave him status and identity and he was giving it over to God and he lost it all and then the one person who should have come alongside of him and said hey let's just go through this together his wife looked at him and said you know what you ought to curse this God you serve and die can I tell you what she was saying can I bring that down here to where we live you should kill yourself you're a fool for trusting this God you serve. He rebuked her. He went away. And, and through the remainder of the book, you'll see that some things happen. He, he even was, was attacked with the physical boils and sores all over his whole body. Perfect and upright, the Bible says. And then here he is being attacked by the enemy because, hey, check this out, because it was God's idea. Why would God do that? I'll tell you why. I love this part. Because the Bible says that when he found himself on the dung pile, naked, came I into this world. Naked shall I go out. And he took a piece of pottery and he began to scrape the sores on his body to relieve the pressure and the itching. And then maybe you can picture in your mind, then he gets on his knees and bows down before and he worships God. How do you worship God and give him praise for what has just happened? Maybe that is the point of reference of him being perfect and upright. Maybe it wasn't the stuff. Maybe the stuff was just the tool for us to be able to relate. You think you're going through a bad day? Pull your cart next to Job and see how you mount up. He lost everything. He said things like this. Though he slay me, yet shall I trust in him. I just, I'm blown away. In the book of Acts, the apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel, told not to speak of this Jesus anymore. As I said before, none of these guys should have been persecuted. None of these guys, they should have had like a big bubble uh, walking around them that no one could touch them. And yet they were arrested, condemned, put in prison. And check this out: here's what they told them. They've seen Jesus resurrected. They've seen him conquer death, hell, and the grave. And here's what they're going to threaten him with. They're going to look at these guys and say, hey, here's the deal. You stop preaching about this Jesus or we're going to kill you like we did him. And they're like going, so? Do you know why they could say that? Because they had the peace of God that passed this understanding and Jesus was simply enough. Because you know what they They knew. They knew finally the teachings that Jesus had been telling them for the last three and a half years. That the moment I close my eyes, the very moment I see him in eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, can can I say this? Any person that has ever died who is in Christ has never experienced death. Get that one around your head. I was by my dad's bedside, my mom, my family, my children. I remember him going, that was it. Man, I could not help but just go, he see Jesus right now. Right now. If you've lost a loved one, you get it. But they didn't experience death. They woke up face to face with the one who redeemed them. Look for a little further. Paul and Silas. I love this. I love this. Paul and Silas were thrown in prison for, for casting out a demon and for preaching the gospel. And they put them in prison, and you would think after all of that, they'd sit in prison shackled to the floor, which is what they would have done in a wrong prison. In the inner prison, the worst part of prison. The Bible says at the midnight hour, which is indicative of the worst possible moment of the day. The darkest moment, the worst moment, no hope, nothing in sight. And the Bible says that they just open up into a hymn of praise. They begin to sing praises to the Lamb of God. And the Bible says that the earthquake, the the, the floors and the walls shook. The shackles popped open and fell to the ground. The gates of the prison door flung open. So much so that the jailer walked in there and he sees, oh my gosh, they've all gotten out. And that would have been punishable by death. So he takes out his sword, sets it down, and he's about to fall on his own sword. Paul says, hey, stop. Come on in here. We're still here, brother. We didn't leave. We didn't go anywhere. You see, because geographical location doesn't change freedom in Christ. You can be in prison and be the most free person in the entire world. And then you can be the, the Bill Gates. And you can be the people with all the money and be lost as can possibly be. And have no peace and no hope and no future. You can be in prison. And Paul knew that, and he began to sing praises to the Lamb of God. Shook the place. Man, if we sang like that, I believe we would shake the place. We've done concerts in here, and those lights that you see under have fallen out. We shook the place. but I'm talking about a spiritual shaking that changes lives. He led the jailer to the Lord, and his whole family was saved. Here's what I want to close with a story because I want you to understand kind of the premise of all this and then now the closing of it <laughs> life's tough when you give your life to Jesus there's no promise that everything's going to be okay wish I could preach that to you but it would be untrue I wish I could tell you that everything was going to be alright that relationships would be healed it's not true that God can heal them I've seen that first place in my own life God restored my marriage when it was completely broken and over I've seen God heal people. God healed me from a sickness, from Crohn's disease in 1995. Why does God heal you and not heal me? I, I, I don't know. That's the mind of God that we may never understand this side of eternity. But here's what I do know to be true. can find solace and hope in people like a man named Horatio Spafford. In 1871, Horatio Spafford was a businessman, an entrepreneur in Chicago. The building of Chicago had just vastly changed the landscape. Buildings and skyscrapers everywhere. Many at his hand in his investments. Horatio that year lost his little boy to an illness. His son died and you can just, can't even imagine and fathom, unless you've lost one, what that must have been like in and of itself. But later that year, that was only the beginning of his sorrows. 1871, later that year, we can look on historical record and find the great fire in Chicago, Destroyed all the architecture, all the buildings, all the business district. He lost everything. Didn't know what to do. Kind of hung out as long as he could and for two years tried to rebuild and just couldn't make it happen. In 1873, he finally said, you know what? I got a little bit of money left and, and I don't know if I want to invest it here and do this thing again. Let's Let's go to Europe. So his precious wife, Anna, and his four daughters were preparing to set sail for Europe to go and maybe survey the area and, and, and maybe even start a new life there. New landscape, new vision, new com- completely different opportunity. But right when he was preparing to go down to board the ship with his family, he got an emergency call, an opportunity for him to turn a transaction in the business. So he told his wife, Anna, take the girls and go on ahead and I'll catch up with you in a bit. I'll be there in a few days. They set sail, and on November the 22nd, 1873, an iron sailing vessel rammed into the side of their boat. 226 people perished that day, of which four daughters of Horatio Spafford died. Just a very handful few of survivors, one of which was Anna Spafford. Anna was picked up by a rescue boat, if you will, and taken on to Europe couldn't just pick up the phone and call her husband so she sent a telegram with two words he received it he opened it and it said saved alone Horatio had already heard of the news and was anticipating to find out if his family had survived that terrible day he knew exactly when he read those two words what it meant he got his affairs together begin to sail over to Europe to collect his wife and to reunite with her and bring her back to Chicago. Maybe Europe wasn't the thing to do after all. As he's sailing across the waters he the captain of the boat through the plodding course realized that they were crossing the very place where his family had had perished. So he sends one of his first mates to go and get Horatio, very respected man. He brought him up to the captain's quarters, and he said, I really don't know how to say this, but I want you to know, this is the spot. put everything on hold. He said, where we sit now, beneath us, maybe hundreds of feet, your daughters lie in a water grave. Horatio thanked him and he went back to his room he took out a pen and he pinned the words to one of the greatest hymns he wrote when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot whatever you bring into my life he was saying you have taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul. Despite the terrible, tragic unfoldings and the sufferings of great loss, how in the world can you still say, Horatio, that it's well within your soul? Because there was a peace that passes understanding that kept him, that guided him, that that would retrieve the hurt and would cover it with that bomb of Gilead that would approach Him with grace and love and mercy, that would say, Jesus is still your Savior and He's enough. He's sufficient for your every need. How can a man articulate having lost it all, it is well with my soul. Whatever you bring into my life, it is well with my soul. I'll tell you why. Because he went on to write the remaining part of the song in the next verse, though Satan would buffet me, The trials should come, let this blessed assurance, let this blessed assurance control. <laughs> and here it is. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. I'm going to put a bow on this for you. Rest of the story that we often don't read, and the narrative is that seven years later, Horatio, now childless with his precious bride Anna, decided that all was lost. No more investments. God, you have my full attention. Use me. Use my story. Use my brokenness. And they traveled to Jerusalem and they set up camp as missionaries to minister to the poor Muslim community and the unconverted Jewish people of Israel and upon all accounts led thousands to the throne of Jesus because it was well with his soul he said well with your soul today we put a bow on this and then we're going to go home in our text and don't turn there four things step out one he called us and he saved us Secondly, it never was about you and I. It's always been about Him. We're not saved because we're awesome. We're saved because He's awesome. And then thirdly, He has defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15. When this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, O death, where is your victory? O, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And then lastly, this was his hope. This was his blessed assurance. I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to keep that which he has given me until that day. Are you convinced today? Do you have that kind of peace? Every head bowed and every eye closed all over the room. What are you holding on to today? Are you in a place of absolute and utter brokenness? Are you moved about? the ebb and flow of difficulty in life, is it driving your heart? Or are you standing in the promise and the hope that Jesus has saved you, He's called you, and He's able to hold on to that thing that He has given you until that day? do you have peace today? Do you have the sufficiency in Jesus Christ? Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't know the free pardon of sin and the hope found in Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. Not about a prayer, not some special thing that I can do for you. I'm just a messenger. But the Bible says, whosoever shall simply call on the name of the Lord Jesus, believing in their heart that he was dead on a cross, raised again on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father, finished the work when he hung on the cross. It is finished. It was paid in full. He didn't just die for your sin. He died as your sin. You no longer have the burden of carrying that weight of separation from God. Today you can walk up and say, Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus forgive me. I call upon your name. Will you save me? Be the Lord over my life. Lord over me. Give you everything. God I say yes to you Jesus. Would you do that right now from your heart to God? Say yes to Jesus. Father in heaven forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me. Today I ask you to save me. Be the Lord over my life. Let it be well with my soul. Let it be well with my soul. Jesus, I'm yours.